0: Chapter Twelve of Murder Takes the Veil by Margaret Ann Hubbard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Twelve. I don't hold with murder," said the churn man sententiously. The door was closed upon the dark night, and the children were disposed on the wood box and in front of the kitchen range with taffy. The pipe smoking of High and Theophilus Burns was infinitely peaceful. Glory was rocking the baby to sleep. I don't hold with murder because it ain't never finished, the churn man further expounded. Take a feller I once knew when I was a mushquash trapper. Oh, you trapped mushquash in your time? High inquired politely. At different points in the narrative, Burns had mentioned many avocations and careers, all lawful, all extremely vague as to time. But now he pinned himself down. I did. Some six, seven, maybe eight years ago, down in the bayou country. Funny thing, I've always figured nothing would have happened if that there norther hadn't blown up. Regular stickaroo, she was, ice and sleet and cold. The charm man paused, reminiscing. After a moment, High asked, They freeze this feller to death? That how they done it? Oh, no, no. The storm caught him in the swamp, see. One of these dudes out on a hunting trip. "'Got separated from his outfit and had to lay up at this here trapper's houseboat, "'and the trapper had a good-looking missus. "'The chairman's eyes met highs knowingly. "'Seen her once myself.' "'Settling in his chair, he drew on his pipe. "'Well, sir, this hunter-jigger didn't get enough of it in them two-three days of the storm. "'He kept coming back, and pretty soon the husband tumbled to what was the attraction, "'and raised right smart of a fuss.' Well, like I said, the feller kept coming back, and one night he come once too often. Bright moonlight it was. The trapper met the guy out in the swamp, and pretty soon there was a shot, and the dude's out quick. The charman looked at his pipe stem, as if suddenly he hated the taste of it. Peculiar, ain't it? How blood looks black in the moonlight. There was a horrified silence. The children staring, glory and high aghast. The only natural sound was Taffy licking his paws. Never did know what became of the feller's wife and kid, the term man added. The kitchen was very still, the wood popping in the stove. Burns went on puffing at his pipe, so the sentences were curiously broken. The murderer can't quit with them two alive, not and be safe. He wasn't never caught, never suspected. Suicide, they said. The story ain't never come out. How'd he get away? That night, I mean, I asked. Easy in the swamp. Why, a man could hide out in them back bayous for elephants' lifetime. Bloodhounds can't track there. Too much water. Take a feller don't know them back bayous. He'd be lost inside a day. But if you know him, you can stay in or make your way out another direction. Easy as you please. No, this guy got away at the time, but he ain't safe. Till he's fixed them, too, so they can't talk. Might be they ain't of a mind to talk, but he can never be sure. That's why I said murder ain't never done up clean. There's always tag ends. The muckeroys listened, fascinated and horrified. To Glory, one terrible question stood out. Why had the churn man chosen to tell this weird tale tonight? If only she dared ask him. Sounds like you might be a witness yourself, Mr. Burns, she ventured. Heard about it, that's all he said shortly, forgetting his nice manners. Oh, said Glory. The charmed man arose hurriedly, turning only when he was halfway out of the door. Oh excuse me, I gotta see to something. Thanks for the eats, and all, Taffy. Well, you come in and have breakfast with us, Mr Burns, Glory reminded him. We'd be proud to have you, added Hi. The big dog ambled to the door, and an instant later the churn man was gone, leaving behind him the rank smell of his pipe and a strange, quivering sensation in every one of the Muckleroys except Palmer, who was asleep. "'I didn't like him, Ma,' whimpered Addie Pearl. "'Now don't you kids go gettin' worked up,' Glory cautioned. "'Hi. You look through the doors and the windows, too. "'And don't one of you mention a word of this crazy yarn to anybody, "'you hear me? Land sakes!' I'll be glad when this night's over with. Carrying Palmer into the bedroom, she looked out toward the convent. Not a light showed anywhere. Trillium, crouched with the muskrat cage in the recess behind the prefect's desk in the dormitory hall, concentrated all her attention on her sense of hearing. Thus must be how it felt to be blind. Inky darkness around you, nothing to compensate for the visual pictures of sight. No way to tell when someone came and stood near you but there was a compensation in quickened listening, for with no eyes to offer diversion her ears were picking up sounds ordinarily unnoticeable. There was Mary Elizabeth at the entrance to this little hall recess, her blue jeans brushing once in a while against the wall. There were footsteps, once so padded they were only a thinning of the closed silence as they passed, and also, once, there was the rustle of a sister's skirts, impossible to mistake for any other sound, when a girl had listened for it through three years of little midnight snacks and visits. Straight by then, and through the corridor, unhurried, deliberate, the slow sounds passed along and out of hearing. "'The old sneak,' Mary Elizabeth whispered. "'She isn't supposed to be up here tonight.' "'Who was it?' Trillium breathed. "'A bouncer. Who else?' Osmond wouldn't do that.' The muskrat began a-scrabbling in the cage, his tiny claws scratching holes in the silence. "'Can't you keep him quiet, Trill?' Mary Elizabeth begged. "'Rock him or something. Maybe he'll think you're his mother.' Trillium rocked, and the little animal forgot his terror. Surely they had been in the alcove more than fifteen minutes. What if the juniors had somehow deduced that the striking of a clock was to be the signal, and had it stopped its old works? They could proceed without the signal, of course.' because they were almost beside the hiding place right now. Around the corner, into the hall, and there was a funny little door opening into the old chapel tower. Not far to go, nothing to fear in the tower. The secret of the hiding place had been well kept. This afternoon, when Trillium had come with Mary Elizabeth to do a little practicing in the tower, they had met Rindy in the hall outside. But Rindy would never give them away. In the clock tower, the old hammer struck four notes. "'Excelsior! Onward and upward!' Mary Elizabeth whispered. "'Come on, Trill!' With Liz leading her by the front of her shirt, Trillium moved soundlessly into the hall, around the corner, past the broom closet, halted at the door leading to the tower. From other hiding places, decoys would be slipping out, carefully carrying empty shoe boxes to lead the spies astray, but there was no noise anywhere in the building. Trillium quivered in every muscle as they stood, barely breathing, straining for any indication from the enemy. This was the most critical moment of the hiding process, when the door must be opened, and the ascent made up the ancient steps. When Trillium had practiced it early in the day, with her eyes shut, there had been the unconscious knowledge that she could open her eyes, and several times she had peeked. But there was no cheating in this utter blackness. Even with keeping her eyes so wide that the lids were stiff, she was a blind girl in a black world. She knew when Mary Elizabeth opened the door, because fresh air swam around her. Everything, then, must be just as they had left it in the middle of the afternoon, the small trapdoor propped wide at the top of the old tower stairs. For the first time, since she had known she was chairman of the Fleece, Trillium was not afraid. It might have been the stimulus of the night air from the tower, or Mary Elizabeth's competent guardianship, or the practical thought that the deed was so nearly completed. Whatever the reason, she was elated, light-hearted as a girl of twenty should be. Take it easy, Trill. Mary Elizabeth breathed in her ear, and Trillium realized she had been fairly bounding around in the dark. She laughed, but inside herself, and moved into the cramped space of the tower. Mary Elizabeth would remain here, inside, the hall door closed, listening, while Trillium ascended to the bell chamber. Even the muskrat was behaving well now. Confidently, she put out her hand to steady herself against the wall, and with the other arm tight around the cage began the perilous climb. The sisters, when the tower was planned, had not foreseen that it would be used for any purpose other than the accommodation of the clockworks. The tower room itself was wide enough only to allow the pendulum to swing free, and over in a corner they had erected a steep flight of steps which had been hacked by an Indian out of a single cypress log. In the daytime, If the climber minded the business at hand, there was no danger of missing a step. But at night it was quite another matter to cling to the narrow log and lean hard against the wall to maintain balance. Another matter, also, to hold a muskrat cage suspended out over nothing so it wouldn't bump and make a noise. Slowly, taking her time, Trillium crept up toward the opening above her head. The sky was shut away by the faces of the clock which walled the tower but the west side, which had no face since the sisters considered thriftily it would be wasted on the swamp, was fitted with louver boards. Feeling the cold air against her face, Trillium knew she was near the top and pulled out her flashlight. In the little room, the clock was busy. The bells were like plum puddings of different sizes set out to cool. I suppose you'll get scared when the clock strikes, honey, but try to bear up, Trillium whispered laying down the cage. You have plenty to eat, and this can't last forever. She would have liked to sit there a while with the muskrat for company, and breathe the fresh night air, and enjoy the awe certainty that her troubles were not any more insurmountable than the hiding of a fleece. But Mary Liz waited below. The convent was crawling with spies, and back in her room she would be quite as well able to think as here. Goodbye, Junior, she whispered. The jeweled crown on its ribbon sparkled no brighter than the muskrat's eyes. Trillium snapped off her flash and edged backward on her knees to the yawning hatch. Working her way slowly, feeling for every inch of the steps, she reached the third and stood erect. Now she would have to pull the trapdoor into place, after her. It was heavier than she expected, and she barely saved it from falling with a thud. She lay for a few moments against the old steps, "'smothering her breathing until the blood pounded in her head. "'I mustn't make any noise,' she warned herself. "'No noise. "'And there was none other than her own drumming heart. "'Suddenly taut, she realized that there should be "'some slight movement down there below. "'Mary Elizabeth, safe in here with the door closed, "'could flash on her light. "'She could whisper some cautious word "'to know whether all was well with Trillium. "'But she didn't. "'No sound came from below.' She couldn't speak herself. Mary Elizabeth was the guard, the one to make the initial move. Has something happened down there in that very basement of the night? Could the door be open and Liz gone? Am I alone? Trillium's thoughts rushed on, for now all her foolish confidence was swallowed up in terror. And then, in her intense listening, she caught a sound. Below her on the steps, someone was creeping up, slowly feeling the way as she herself had done with a hand on the rough old wall, breathing carefully, taking endless time. And the hall door was open. The tower smelled of dust and age and fresh air, but the outer hall held sweeping compound and the dinner-time roast beef, and there was no way for it to seep in except through the open door, and these homely odors were swirling into the tower. Crouching on the steps, Hearing faintly that creeping approach, Trillium sensed that this was not the hide-and-seek alarm of being caught with the Golden Fleece. In that moment she forgot the treasure hunt. Nothing was real but the open hall door and the appalling, slow advance below her on the stairs. Trillium did not think out what she did next. Perhaps because she had used it a few minutes before, she jerked at her flashlight and pressed the button. The little tower room leaped into being one segment of it very bright, and in that circle of light Mary Elizabeth crouched on the steps, her head on a level with Trillium's feet. She threw up an arm to shield her eyes, but she did not look up to her Trillium coward. She looked back, to the open door of the hallway, where the outer nimbus of light did not quite reach. There, beyond that nimbus, shadowy but quite distinguishable, stood a giant sister with her head muffled in black. Her habit was not quite long enough. Underneath it showed a pair of man's trouser legs, ending in large, heavy boots. No! Mary Elizabeth gasped, as if someone were choking her. For an eternity the tableau held, the sister simply standing with face hidden, hands hidden, an aura of evil emanating from her. Trillium wanted to swing the light up to that hidden face, over the whole muffled figure, but her arm wouldn't move her thumb fell away from the button, the flashlight snapped off. Blackness again, but a blackness in which there were sounds, a series of bumps, a groan, the pop of a flashlight hitting the floor. And in the underworld black of the hall, there was the soft rustle of a sister's skirts, exactly the sound that had gone so deliberately past the alcove so short a time before. Mother Theodore, reading her bravery in her office, stiffened to attention, Within the close little room she heard nothing, but her nerves were tuned to night to vibrate in the faintest breeze of trouble. For a moment she listened, straining. Suddenly she dropped the breviary and was around her desk and over to the door, out into the hall where the only light came from behind her, and another patch down the hall where Sister Osmond was framed like a portrait of alarm. For both the sisters had heard the same sound, a high, piercing scream. Then silence, ominous unnatural silence, as if no one moved in the whole building. Mother Theodore grasped the door behind her, helpless against this net of silence that was far more dreadful than any screaming, for she knew, without knowing, that the scream and the blank quiet had nothing to do with the hunt for the Golden Fleece. Something had happened again. And I don't know where Jarvis is, she thought dazedly. I couldn't find him earlier, in that moment the superior of St. Aurelian's was as near to fainting as she had ever had come in her life. End of chapter twelve